0: We are going to be in John chapter 20 and 21 today. So if you want to open your Bibles and go there, John chapter 20 and 21, as Joe said, uh, this whole year we've been focused on the theme of encountering Jesus. We believe that the Lord had called us in a fresh way, that he wanted to meet with us as a community, as a church family in a fresh way this year. And one of the ways that we've been responding to that it's about leaning into scripture together, going through the gospel of John. We started at Easter. Today we'll conclude our study in the gospel of John. So that's exciting. As Joe said, there you go. Got a little woe from Stephen. I appreciate that. Um, we uh, were recently at the Antioch Conference in Rome that I want to tell you just a little bit about. Uh, our church family is gathered all around the world, planted uh, all around the world. And we've been a part of being planted and planting other churches And every few years, uh, the leadership of Antioch tries to gather the leaders from the different churches and church plants all around the world uh, and and bring people together for a time of seeking the Lord and reconnecting relationally. Because of COVID, we hadn't been able to gather this way in several years. And uh, I've been going to these conferences now for uh, 20, I think 20 years, this was the first time it was in a city where I was like, ooh, I would really like to go to that city as well. It was in Rome, uh, so that was really cool. And we went, and I wanted to share you a few of the testimonies that were shared from our church family around the world. We got to see uh, people from churches that we've been a part of planting. Jeremy and Kara Lee at Antioch Lake Cities were there. Uh, we're thinking Jimmy and Chloe, who are in Detroit Uh, John and Jamie, who are in Ann Arbor, were there. Sam and Alex Johnston, who are serving in Poland, were there. Tom and Autumn, uh, who are serving in the Middle East, Central Asia, were there. And then people from just all around the world. It was awesome to see people and to be able to reconnect relationally. And I was blown away at what God is doing around the world that we are a small part of. And I wanted to share a few of those stories with you. A gentleman named Clint who we have uh, had speak in our church. He lives in the Middle East, and he shared with me about a prayer movement that's happening in Saudi Arabia, a people gathering to pray and seek the Lord for God to move powerfully in that nation. He's like, you won't ever see this on the news. You won't ever see this in the headlines, but this is what's going on in the underground church is that people are gathering gathering to pray in the name of Jesus, believing God to move and redeem and empower in Saudi Arabia, that this would be a generation where people come to know the Lord in that area. Unbelievable. Another uh, gentleman serving in India shared that during uh, COVID, they decided to do Facebook Live prayer service on their Facebook page. So he was praying for people that were sick. He got a message from someone saying, I am sick, would you actually come to my village and pray for me? So this gentleman uh, took his family to this remote village to pray for this woman. She had, for years and years, suffered with ongoing terrible migraine headaches. And when he prayed for her, she, in the name of Jesus, she was healed supernaturally. They spent the night in that village. He said it was very small uh, homes so they had to actually sleep outside. And he said at four in the morning, he wakes up and he is surrounded by 30 some odd people looking at him. Now, put yourself in his shoes. You're in a new village. You're sleeping outside. Might feel a little vulnerable. Four in the morning. Now there's all these people standing around you, staring at you. And this woman who had been healed, she had gone and gotten her family members. And it turns out that these um, migraine headaches were something that ran in their family. So she brought all of her family members there to meet the man who prayed and God heard his prayer. So he prays for them and they were healed in Jesus' name. And they're able to share the gospel and people come to the Lord. That's amazing. Uh, Heard of just so many stories along those lines. One of my favorite ones though, uh, is related to our own church. Uh, Our church was planted a number of years ago by a wonderful couple named Ben and Ruth Loring. Uh, And they were, when they were praying about planting this church, they were trying to decide, was God leading them to Dallas or to Detroit? They didn't know, but God had given them a heart for a large city, in particular a city that had a lot of poverty in it, and they believed the gospel would transform lives. In the end, they felt like God was leading them to Dallas, but they had something in their hearts for Detroit. And so they planted here uh, the church that we are now, uh, these many years later, a part of, And over the years, God has led us to plant in Detroit. So I was talking to the couple uh, that is leading a new church plant in the Detroit area. And that story was being shared of how there had been a dream in Ben and Ruth's heart. Ben and Ruth have since gone to be with the Lord. I need to tell that part. They've since passed on. They've gone to be with the Lord. They never saw the outcome of what God had put in their heart. And now, these many years later, Here's this new couple starting a new church in a very impoverished area of Detroit that were the answer to prayers that Ben and Ruth prayed many years ago. And that really stuck with me of how so often God puts things in our hearts. And we play a small part, but we don't know the bigger story of what God is doing. And here, even though Ben and Ruth have gone to be with the Lord, here's this couple, the fruit of their prayers, pioneering a new work for new people in Detroit. Amazing. We went to, um, uh, one day we got to go into the city. The, the conference was very intense, nine to, honestly, nine at night, most of the nights we were there. But there was one day where we could go into the city and we went to uh, the Coliseum and saw, you know, where the gladiators fought. And that was very cool. Uh, but there was a, a place that we went that there really wasn't anybody at called Mamertine Prison. And you and I, we may not have heard of this, but the significance of it was this is where the Apostle Paul was held in prison uh, before he was executed there in Rome. And you can go to that prison. Uh, It is down in a hole in the ground. So it's a little cave, and the way that they would put prisoners on their version of death row was you would be dropped through a hole in the ceiling down into this cave where you would await your death sentence there. And there's tons of people at the Colosseum checking out all of, you know, everything that's there. There's no one at this prison. There's no one at this little place where Paul was held and where he wrote uh, some of the letters that we read and cherish today. He was held there. And we were able to go in, you go down these steps, these rickety steps, down into the cave which he was held and you just think about all that had happened there, and you kind of flash back in your mind to, I wonder what Paul was thinking in his life where he's by himself, he's on death row, and he is just there, and he's like, God, I'm gonna write these letters, I'm gonna stay faithful to you, but in his life, be very little visible that we would now see today, Thousands of years later, there's a church on top of the prison uh, that he was in. There was a church built there to Jesus, and they have worship services there, and then we are all somehow the fruit of his life, but again, it connected to the Ben and Ruth story for me of how so often the things that happen in our lives, we're not able to see the full picture of what God is doing. But as we love Jesus in the places that God puts us in, and sometimes those feel like Prison cells, sometimes those feel like, man, I've had these prayers in my heart, but I've not seen them come to pass. But if we stay faithful, God takes those seeds, like Jordan shared last week, and they end up bearing much fruit in ways that we could never even imagine. I'd love to go on and on and on about the stories and the testimonies. It was such a powerful time, and I hope those things encourage you not only. what God is doing around the world, but what God is doing through our church family that we are a part of, that you are a part of, and God is on the move in our nation and in the nations of the earth, saving, redeeming, healing, and transforming lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. John chapter 20 and 21 is where we're going to be. Uh, We have tracked with John's telling of the life of Jesus through the incarnation through Jesus' ministry, through his miracles. We have been through Jesus' trial, his crucifixion, his death and burial. And now here at the end of the Gospel of John, we come to see Jesus is raised from the dead. The way John does that, the way he describes that is not in kind of a line upon line, logical uh, argument put forth, but through the stories of the people of God and their experience of the resurrected Jesus. As we read in John 20 and 21, we read the story of Peter and John, of course, two of the main disciples. We read the story of Mary Magdalene, and we read the story of Thomas. So we're going to look at today the resurrection of Jesus in the life of John and Peter, the resurrection of Jesus in the life of Mary Magdalene, and the resurrection of Jesus in the life of Thomas, the disciple. And as we go through these stories and we read these words, what I want to encourage you to do is to read these as our family story. These are spiritual mothers and fathers that you and I have never met and will not meet on this side of heaven, but one day we will. And this is how God worked in their lives. And this is how God works in our lives. So as we read these stories, I want to encourage you to consider how have you encountered the resurrected Jesus? And as we open up our hearts today to meet with the Lord, we haven't just gathered here on Sunday morning to go through the motions or to do just another Sunday, but we've gathered here to encounter the Lord. And how might the Holy Spirit speak to us through the word of God today, the words that you and I need to hear? So would you bow your heads with me before we begin going to God's word? Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you are the resurrected King. And thank you, Lord, that for each of us here, there is an impact that your resurrection and your resurrected life has on our lives. I pray today that you would help us, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts as we prayed, Lord, that you would help our ears to hear that our hearts would be good soil to receive the words that you want to plant in them today. We humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we're listening to you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week. Remember, Jesus at this point uh, before this time has been buried, uh, dead and buried. But here early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone that had been removed from the entrance. So Jesus was buried in a tomb covered in a stone. And so she sees that the stone has been removed. She comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, John the apostle writes the Gospel of John. He often refers to himself throughout the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So it's important you see this. John is speaking, Mary came to Peter, and she came to John, whom John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You're gonna laugh here in just a moment as we see what happens. Uh, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. Verse three, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, you're John, you've been given this assignment by the Holy Spirit to write out the important events of the life of Jesus. You are picking and choosing selective events from his life to tell the story to the church. And you're like, okay, we've got <clears throat> turning water into wine. Yep, that's a good one. Okay, we, yeah, we should definitely put Jesus the good shepherd in there. We should definitely, Jesus is the vine. Definitely get the crucifixion. You know what else needs to be in here? That time I beat Peter in the race, right? <laughs> Just, just think about the funniness of that. It's so humorous. Uh, there's a meme going around uh, that you can find if you're on like nerdy Christian social media where uh, it's John speaking to Peter and it's like, hey, I, I wrote about you in my book. And Peter's like, oh yeah? Like when I walked on water? And John's like, ah. Uh, how about when uh, Jesus said I was the rock that he's gonna build a church on? You know, John's like, ah. Uh, and it's like, when I beat you in the race. To the empty tomb. I love it. A little, 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 uh, love to know John's personality and why that got really put in there. So anyway, uh, he bent over John dead and looked in the, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. So how many times has John gone to reference, like, I was the one that was there first. Let everyone remember that. I will describe myself as that. I am the disciple Jesus loved, and I'm the fastest one. So he saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I love this painting uh, that we're gonna put up. It's a picture, a rendition of uh, Peter and John running to the tomb after they hear the words of Mary. And you can imagine yourself, put yourself in their shoes, and you hear this, and you hear that the stone in front of the tomb has been removed, and you're not quite sure what's going on. And so you go in a sprint together uh, to find out what has happened. We'll come back to the story of John and Peter because it opens this section and also closes this section. But John now shifts to Mary Magdalene. Verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. So Mary, at this point, thinks someone has taken Jesus' body, has stolen his body, has moved it from the place that he was buried. She doesn't know where they have put him. Verse 14, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, Who are you, or why are you crying, and who is it you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Verse 16 Jesus said to her, Mary. When he said her name, she turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. At that moment, she recognizes of a little painting from church history of that scene. And I think this is so significant. <clears throat> there are a number of Marys uh, in the gospels and so it can be a little confusing of, okay, which Mary are we talking about here? Of course, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's not who we're speaking of here. Mary Magdalene, And what we do know about her from scripture is that she was someone who earlier in her life had been plagued with demons and that Jesus had delivered her from seven demons, that he had cast the demons out of her and brought healing in her life. Later, she financially supported Jesus in the ministry of the kingdom going forward. Some scholars and uh, church history believe that she is one and the same as Mary of Bethany. Some believe she's a different person, but she is one of the prominent disciples in the gospel. And she is the one who witnesses Jesus raised from the dead. She's the one who sees him first. She's the one who is given the assignment by Jesus to go and preach, go and proclaim to the other disciples that Jesus has raised from the dead. Some would say that she was she is the apostle to the apostles. Right? Apostles are ones who are sent with a message by the Lord. Mary is the apostle to the apostles. She's sent by Jesus with the greatest sermon ever. He is raised, I have seen the Lord. And she is sent to her, uh, other, the other disciples to proclaim to them what she saw. She lived a really remarkable life. What about her would be such that she was the one out of all of them, Jesus could have chosen any of them to be the first one to carry the message forward. Why would he pick her? Scholars have debated this. The church has debated this. People have had all sorts of theories. Some would say, oh, there had to be a romantic interest between Jesus and Mary. Thus you get Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code. That's what they think, because her life was such an anomaly. In their day, the testimony of a woman was not sufficient in court, and yet Jesus would choose the testimony of a woman to go and proclaim that he had been raised from the dead. Jesus chose her. I personally think that that is an affront against uh, a woman. that the only reason she could be significant was if she was in somehow a romantic relationship with Jesus. What if Jesus just saw in her faithfulness what if he just saw in her a heart that loved him and said, I am going to send you, you are the one I have chosen to go and proclaim the good news that I have been raised from the dead. That's what I, that's what I believe, right? And I love this. I love that Mary's life, as she encountered the resurrection, Jesus defied what people around her would even understand. There's, what explanation is this other than she met the risen Lord? That she had encountered him, not just as her healer, she had, not just as her leader, as, his, as a disciple to learn from him, but as the resurrected king who had given her a message to go and proclaim the resurrected Jesus. And I just wanna say in here, whether male or female, what if the resurrection impacted us? What if we encountered Jesus as the resurrected Lord in such a way that our lives did not make sense to the world around us, did not fit into neat categories, but the only way that it could be explained is I've encountered the resurrected Lord. I've seen the Lord. And for some of us here, that's part of your testimony. That's part of what God wants to work in your life. Not just that you would know about the resurrection, but that we would experience that resurrected Jesus together. And that your life would be lived in such a way where there's no way to explain it apart from the resurrected King appeared to me. Jesus is risen. I love that. Mary, the apostle to the apostles, I've seen the Lord. Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. So get this, they're in a room, they're afraid, the Jewish leaders who had just put Jesus to trial, they are afraid of them, so they're locking the doors on their rooms, they're not trying to let anyone in. And there Jesus appears in the midst of them. And he says to them, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus not only sent Mary to proclaim the resurrection, but now he is commissioning the apostles. And he's saying, I am sending you as the Father has sent me. And with that, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24, now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Talk about a bad day to miss life group, right? The resurrected Jesus is showing up and maybe you had to work late or something, right? And it's like, man, of all the nights to miss, Thomas missed. So when the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, which the other disciples got to see, he said, unless I see them, Unless I put my finger where the nails were like the other disciples were able to and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And here's the famous painting by Caravaggio of his rendition of Thomas putting his hands in Jesus' side And we often know uh, or refer to Thomas through church history as doubting Thomas. And sometimes uh, we think, well, we're like him. You know, I'm just a doubter. I just, I don't have much faith. You maybe have thought of yourself in that way. Um, Once Thomas encountered the resurrected Lord, once he encountered Jesus in his resurrection, Thomas, the rest of his life, the story is not defined by his doubts, the story of the rest of his life is defined by, I have seen the Lord. And that experience was so transformational for him. Church history holds that Thomas launched out from Jerusalem and is the only one of the apostles to leave the Roman empire that he carried the gospel to India. And there he gave his life as a martyr. And JN, JN, are you in here? Don't we got co- J.N. right here. J.N. was telling me that in India, there are parts of India today that trace their faith heritage to the ministry of Thomas, who we know is doubting Thomas. But heaven knows is the one who encountered the risen Lord and then gave his life for the kingdom. Like he lived out this being sent with a message. And as we encounter the risen Jesus, remember John is writing these stories not just to proclaim his great running feats to us, although there might be a little motive in there. He's writing these stories that we might believe and in believing might experience and share in the life that's found in Christ. And there's some of us here today that either your story in the past or your story in the present, you have felt plagued and defined by doubts, but I want you to know as you encounter the risen Jesus, right? What you find in that place is faith that you've seen the Lord. And the rest of your story doesn't need to be defined by your doubts. It can be defined by I have seen the Lord and I have lived faithfully unto him, taking the gospel to places that you would have never imagined, right? That can be our story as well. Amen. Amen. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But there are written, uh, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in them, you may have life in his name. So why is John taking the time to write all these things down? That we might believe in Jesus. And in believing in Jesus, that we might have more than just kind of a mental, okay, I believe, but that we too might share in the life that Thomas and Mary, and John, and Peter experienced and shared in him. And we've experienced that life in our church. So many stories in our midst of the life of Jesus at work. I love it. John 20, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. "'I'm going out to fish,' Simon Peter told them. "'And they said, we will go with you.' So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. "'Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, "'but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. "'And he called out to them in verse five, "'He said, "'Friends.'" Haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. And Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there, with fish on it, some bread. Bring some fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many of them, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when Jesus appears uh, this time to the disciples, John tells us this is the third time Jesus appeared. If you've been tracking the story along, you know that there's a three is significant, particularly in the life of Peter. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. So now John is telling us Peter, that Jesus appears to Peter three times, right? This is the third time these reappeared. So John is intentionally revisiting the story and the scene of Peter's failure. Why, after Peter had encountered the risen Lord when he appeared to the disciples, has Peter gone back to the family business of fishing? If Jesus is saying, I am sending you as the Father has sent me, receive the Holy Spirit, why is Peter not going out and preaching boldly like he does in Acts 2? Why is he now going off fishing. Church historians believe that the reason, scholars believe the reason why John includes this story is that Peter here is not uncertain of the Lord's resurrection. Peter here is uncertain of his qualification to carry out the mission of Jesus because of his own failure. Because of his own failing, it's like, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe you are raised from dead. I believe it would be good for the other disciples to go and to proclaim that, but not me. I was the one that told you I would be faithful to the end, that I was willing to die with you. And when the going got tough, I hid, I failed, I denied you. In fact, note that here in this story, it, it takes very attention to detail, very precise detail, that Jesus welcomes them back around a fire made out of coals. You might remember that when Peter denied the Lord, that it said that Peter there warmed himself by a fire made out of coals. So Jesus here in this moment with Peter is taking him back to the very place, the very scene where Peter denied him before the crucifixion. Now Jesus is revisiting Peter right there. Third time I've appeared to you, this time at the very place that you deemed yourself a failure, I am coming there. So I want you to think for yourself, uh, think for a moment of a place in your life where you feel like you failed the Lord. I want you to think of a time in your life, maybe where it's like like, I thought I was gonna be faithful to Jesus and I was unfaithful in that moment or in that scene, a place of failure. That's what Peter is feeling right here. I'll continue through the story in just a moment. As you'll see, this gets reiterated over and over again. But Peter is there, and now Jesus is walking into that very place where Peter had turned from the Lord, where Peter had denied the Lord. And here, Jesus, around this fire of coals, third time reappearing, goes into this famous dialogue with Peter, again, a series of three. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. So as before Peter was asked, do you know Jesus? And he said, no, I don't know him. Here Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? and Peter's saying, Lord, I, I love you. What does Jesus say? He said, I want you to feed my lambs. That's the metaphor that Jesus uses, not for literal uh, sheep, but he uses for his people, the lambs. He was calling Peter here to be a shepherd to the sheep to be a leader of God's people. Verse 16, Jesus says again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus again, one denial, Jesus reaffirmation. I know what's in your heart. I know you love me. I want you to feed my sheep. Second denial, Peter, I know you love me. I want you to feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Third time through, Again, revisiting the three denials of Peter, the three failures of Peter. Here, the third time, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter responded, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here in that place of failure, Peter encounters the risen Lord Jesus. He's reaffirmed in his love for Jesus and he's given his calling to be a leader amongst God's people. That's his story of encountering the resurrected Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So now what's happening here? Jesus says to Peter, Peter, when you were a young man, you blazed your own trails. You set your own path. You kind of lived life on your own terms but you as an old man, someone else is going to dress you. Someone else is going to lead you. And John tells, he's talking about Peter's death. Interestingly enough, where we were in Rome, in the prison in which Paul was held, is also, history tells us, the same prison in which Peter was held before Peter was martyred. That Peter was martyred, not crucified like Jesus, right side up, but Peter said, I'm not even worthy of that kind of death. Peter was crucified upside down. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here, that Peter, who had denied Jesus, this same Peter, because of God's love for him, because of God's grace, because of encountering the resurrected Lord, having seen the Lord, now Peter, who had thought of himself as a failure, would be one who would stay faithful, faithful even unto death. That he would... His original prayer was, Jesus, I love you so much, I will die for you. But when the going got tough, Peter chickened out. But the end of the story of Peter's life is that Jesus, you know that I love you and I have enough strength to stay faithful now because of your grace so that Peter fulfilled what young Peter, his boastful kind of, I'm I'm so tough, I'm gonna die with you, Jesus. I love you more than all these guys, right? Jesus saw what was really in his heart. And Jesus stuck with him, and he believed in him. And the rest of Peter's story was defined very differently than Peter's failings, but it was Peter's faithfulness. But he was faithful because he encountered the faithfulness of the Lord, right? Jesus didn't leave him there. I love this about Jesus. Don't you love this about Jesus? This is so awesome. I love that Jesus knows the difference between immaturity and rebellion. He knew that with Peter, his... You know, I'm denying you. He knew that that wasn't rebellion. He knew it was Peter's own immaturity. He knew that there was something deeper in Peter than what he failed in a moment. So Jesus comes to him in his grace and he sees that and he calls that out. And for us, as we encounter the resurrected Jesus, yes, some of us are called to live lives like Mary Magdalene, where it just defies what anyone would think of us. It's like, wow, what happened to that person? encounter the resurrected Lord. Some of us is like Thomas, where it's like, I was so doubtful and cynical and the Lord, I encountered the Lord and somehow he changed me and I live this very faithful life unto the end. And some of us like Peter, where there are times and places in your life where you feel like, man, I failed the Lord. And Jesus sees what's in your heart and you encounter the resurrected Lord. And there you find truth. And you, Peter found truth that God saw who he really was, was really in his heart. And the grace of the Lord Peter changed from a fickle man that was faithless to a man that was faithful to the end. And that's gonna be the story for some of us as we share, as we encounter the resurrected Lord. Amen? Amen? Aren't these stories so powerful? Like I love just reading through them and thinking about the people and thinking about how this impacted their life and the rest of their lives. They were transformed by encountering the resurrected Lord. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So Jesus calls Peter, hey, come with me. Peter's walking with Jesus. He looks back, there's John. We don't know all the inner workings of of the competitiveness between Peter and John, but it seems like maybe there's a little something there. He's looking back, he sees them. He said, uh, this disciple who was following them was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and has said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, talking about John, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about John? Verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? That's so good? Sometimes we need to stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and what God is doing with them. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've called you to follow me. That's what you need to focus on. That's what Jesus says to Peter. Now, verse 24, this is the disciple, John, who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Again, that gave me a chuckle. Like John in here is putting, I won the race. I'm the one that wrote these things down and my word is true. There you go. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And thus ends, or no, I'm sorry. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs. Wait, this is going back. Sorry, I got off on my place, guys. Please forgive me. Uh, That's where the gospel of John ends, right there. And I love John's key thesis through the whole book. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the invitation of the Lord to us as we hear his word today, that we might believe and then in believing that we might have life in the name of Jesus. We're going to celebrate that life uh, here in a couple weeks with baptisms. I want to encourage you, parents in the room, if you have a child who's made a decision to follow Jesus, we believe in childlike faith. And if they are talking to you or you think that it's the right time for them to be baptized, I want to encourage you to go to the baptism class after church today to, to spiritually lead your kids and taking that step and helping them understand what it means to follow Jesus. If you are not a young person, uh, but you are an older person, if you have come to faith later in life, or maybe you turn from the Lord and you're making your way back and you're like, you know what, I, I, I I want to be baptized as well. Baptism is one of those ways that we celebrate as a church, that we're not just learning about a historical Jesus or an intellectual faith, but that we too, have experienced the life that comes from the resurrected King. And we want to celebrate that life. So I wanna encourage you, if you've been thinking about getting baptized, go to the baptism class, because this is how we take these words and we put them into practice in our lives, where we begin to experience what John has talked about. If you've already been baptized, when we do the baptism service, I want you to let those baptisms bring to remembrance your own story of encountering the resurrected Jesus. Remember your own time of the waters of baptism coming and washing away the old you and bringing new life, shared life in Christ out of you. And we're gonna celebrate those things. So practical action point, please hear me. As you've read through this, if you are like, man, I need to be baptized, let's do it. Let's take that step. If you're a parent, you're like, you know what? I've talked about this with my kids. Let's take that step. And if you've been baptized, Let's honor these words that Jesus has given to us and let's celebrate and experience the life that is in his name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, if you will stand. I doubt that uh, Mary or Thomas or John or Peter or any of the other disciples could have understood all that was happening in them and all that God was going to do through them as they encountered the resurrected Lord. I doubt the same for us, that if we were able to zoom out with a 2,000 or 3,000 year view, I doubt that we could see or understand all that God had for us as we encountered the resurrected Lord. But here, as we've gathered this year around the Gospel of John, I think we've tasted a small sliver, a small percentage of the life that is in Jesus and the life that we get to share together. And so here, as we close the Gospel of John, I'd love for the worship team. Thank you all for coming on forward. I want to encourage you. Let's celebrate the Lord together. Let's lift our voices. In Romans, there's a prayer that we would be so united in the Lord that we would lift up in one accord, with one voice, we would praise the Lord. So even if you're not a singer normally, I wanna encourage you to sing. As we close out this study in the Gospel of John, let's celebrate Jesus. And let's join with Mary and with Peter and with John and with Thomas and say, I have seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. Jesus is King and He is the one who's inviting us to share in his life. Jesus, we love you. Pray today that you would receive these songs from Thankful Hearts, Lord. That you would receive these songs as those who have experienced you, have tasted and seen, like John is talking about the life that is in you. And that we, through a crazy work of your grace, Lord, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done, that we get to share in that life and we celebrate you today, our resurrected King. As the worship team leads us in song, let's lift our voices to the Lord.